you today, and uh, glad to, to be here this morning. And uh, man, nine years, for nine years we've been praying that God would provide uh, what we need for a parking lot. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to get like a hoverboard or like a scooter, and I'm just going to go up and down the parking lot <laughs> during the week when you guys aren't here. And uh, I'm going to skateboard and ollie across, you know, that. And some kids are like, what's that mean? Like, you know, I grew up watching Tony Hawk, man. So I'm super stoked about that. And then I also want to just say, too, that Mike mentioned we didn't get the permit on the modular. But we've got some things that we're looking into that we're super excited about. Because I believe this, that when God closes one door, he often opens another. And so we're excited about Amen. And so we're pumped about the potential of what God is uh, doing in that uh, in that regard, and so we're just excited for that. Now, how many of you uh, were able to use your random acts of kindness cards this week? Did anyone do that? Just lift your hand real quick, and uh, my wife and I, and maybe one or two more. And so let me just tell you, these are really cool opportunities for us to, throughout, throughout the entire month, just to uh, randomly do good and show people God's love. And uh, this past week, my wife and I, uh, we went, and uh, I went to Starbucks, and I went through the line, and I was kind of bummed because there was no one behind me. She goes, just wait. Someone will pull up behind us, and you could pay. So I paid for their uh, their coffee right behind me. And then my wife's kind of weird, you know. And so she's like, pull around, and let's park, and let's watch them come out and see their response. I'm like, you're a creeper, man, you know. <laughs> and so so we totally did. Uh, we pulled around, and uh, this is kind of fun, you know. And uh, so let me encourage you to do that. Grab some of these on your way out. And uh, let's try to be a blessing and try to change our world in small ways uh, just throughout the week. We're in the book of Nehemiah. And for those of you that weren't here last week, for over 140 years, uh, in this account that we find in the Word of God, uh, while this is a historical account, it's obviously a biblical account. We believe that the Word of God is true. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a bunch of fables. But it's, it's the historical narrative of how God is redeeming his people unto himself and restoring his relationship uh, with him. And so for over 140 years, and this is a historical fact, you can look it up in history books, the the walls of Jerusalem were were laid in ruins. And even though many believe, many of the the Jews that were living at that time believed the walls would never be rebuilt, God raised up, and I love this, man, God raised up one man, one guy, a guy that had a burden, and God raised him up, who believed that those walls could be rebuilt again. I just love that. Because you might write this down today, but I believe that God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through their life. God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through their life. God transformed an ordinary cupbearer into a man that would lead this nation to rebuild their walls and to be restored in a right relationship with God. And what I find fascinating as we read this And in chapter 1 last week, we learned that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, before you go and you think, hey, that's kind of cool, like he gets to roll with the king. No, like his job was to drink the wine before the king tasted it to make sure that it wasn't poison. Like, you know, like I'm not going on monster.com looking for that job. You know what I'm saying? He was doing that job because his people were taken into captivity, and that was the job that was given him to protect the king. So if he drank the wine and the wine was okay got to live. If it wasn't okay, well, he was out, and the king knew that someone was after him. Now, last week, Pastor Mike began our series, and it it was entitled Change Your World. And our goal last week was to inspire you toward your burden. What is it? What is that that thing that God has burdened you for? What's that thing that God has made you passionate about, that, that just 
you want to change in the world. You want it to be different. And I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I don't, I like being around young people. And I like being around young people because they're not old enough to be around dream squashers. Can I get an amen on that? Because as we get older, we're around people that they're just cynical and they're critical and they just, they almost like, they, they lose their belief in what could be, right? And that's why I love going to Disney World because it's where dreams come true, right, amen? I mean, I love going. I remember the first time my wife and I, we went with our kids and they were like two and three. And, and you know, like uh, Tinkerbell, she comes out of the castle. And I mean, I know she's on a zip line, but it's still cool. I got tears coming out of my eyes and I'm just, I know, man, dreams can come true. We're in the middle of the day, they got the afternoon parade. And I'm just, I'm watching the parade and I'm like, I know, man, dreams can come true, you know? But isn't it weird that somewhere along the line as adults, we lose our ability to dream. We lose our, our, our capacity to believe that a, a better foreseeable future could happen. And then we lose the ability to believe that we could be a part of that process in seeing the world around us become a better place. And so my hope today is to equip and empower you. Because we're getting really practical in this lesson today and we're going to find out how that we can turn a burden, a passion, something that we're inspired to do into a ministry. Now, the year was 444 B.C. The walls of Jerusalem had been down for 140 years. They were a people that felt hopeless, they were in despair, and they were very, very depressed. In fact, I believe they didn't think they could ever have the walls of protection again. They probably felt like their best days were behind them and that they were embarrassing God. I believe that probably some of you in this room today feel much like the nation of Israel did at this time in that they were a reproach. Maybe they they thought, man, we've really messed things up. And here's what they probably thought. God has totally abandoned us. Maybe you're in a place in your life right now where you're just like, man, God's abandoned me. I've I've made a reproach of my life. The walls of my life have come down and there's nothing left for me to live for, right? But then there's this guy named Nehemiah who says, no, 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 no. We serve a faithful, ever loving and true God. And I want to introduce you to him again. And I'm going to use some some different means to help to restore your relationship back to God. So one day, Nehemiah, who lived a thousand miles or so away from Jerusalem, he asks his brother, and Mike talked about this last week, how are things in the homeland? How are things back at home? How's Uncle Ray and, and Cousin Susie? He's probably asking, it's, you know, Jewish names, and I'm throwing out some southern names there, but you get the drift, right, amen? He's asking, like, how, how, how are the peeps doing back home, right? How are they doing? He's like, man, the, the walls are down. The gates have been burned. And this news, it devastated Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, but God was burdening his heart to make a difference. God uses one ordinary person, and I, I, I believe this. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm so like, I don't know if you can sense this today, but I genuinely believe that God uses individuals to make a difference in the world. History tells us that. You look at the lives of D.L. Moody, William Carey, Billy Graham, uh, you, on and on and on we could go today about men and women who, who change the world, and God raises up one person at a time. And what's so amazing to me is that God uses broken people to help broken people. So God used this ordinary person. What you've got to love about this story is that Nehemiah didn't do this based on his position. Nehemiah didn't have a position. No, in fact, God used him because of his passion. God didn't use Nehemiah because of his position. He didn't have it. He was an ordinary guy. He had no resources. He, in fact, he was a 
captive to the Babylonian or the Persian Empire. And so God burned him. And here was a man who was wise enough to pray and ask for God for what he needed. And God resourced him to accomplish the task at hand. And God could do the same in your life. God could do the same in my life. And if you're taking notes this morning, what I hope you'll understand is this. To make a difference in the world, you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most, right? You don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. You have to have compassion. To change the world, you're going to have to see yourself as a leader, equipped and empowered by God. And so we want to get really practical today. And so what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, first of all, world change leaders, they define the mission carefully. They define the mission carefully. What is it that God is leading me to do? What is it that God is calling me to do? What is it that I'm burdened to do? What is it that God has given me a passion to accomplish in his name? Now, when Nehemiah was asked by the king, as Mike read in the passage today in verse number four, he was able to clearly define, he was able to clearly articulate what the mission was. He knew individually and specifically and personally what God wanted him and was calling him to do. He was able to clearly say what what God was leading him to do in that moment. And I just want to ask you today, and please note this today, just ask yourself this in way of personal application. Could you do that right now? If someone asked you, what do you need to accomplish God's purpose in your life or God's calling in your life? Could you say, this is what God is calling me and this is what I need? Could you do that? I mean, if someone right now was to ask you at the drop of the hat, where is God leading you and what do you need? Could you answer that question? Well, Nehemiah could do that. Could you define what God is leading you into? And I listen, I believe a lot of Christians just go to church. I believe they just go to church and they miss out on some of the best parts of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's why I believe that. Unlike Nehemiah, I believe that if you're bored in the Christian life, it may be because you're a spectator and not a participant, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I loved playing sports. I love being a part of the action. I'm not necessarily a fan of watching sports. I mean, I know some of you guys like to do that, and you, you probably think, well, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, I could throw this ball over that mountain. For those of you who don't know, that's a Napoleon Dynamite reference, Uncle Rico, you know what I'm saying? Getting that in there this morning, right? And some of you live in the glory days. But if I'm going to do something, can I get an amen on this? I want to be in the action. I want to be a part of what's going on. And I believe that we lose interest when we're spectators rather than participants. And I think we need to get to a place in our life and our calling and our walk with God where we understand what is it that God is leading into me. Because I do believe this, that when God saved you, he simultaneously called you into the mission of God. So part of you being a disciple of Jesus Christ and part of you being a follower of Jesus Christ means that at the very moment that God saved you, redeemed you, and rescued you, and forgave you of your sins, he simultaneously called you into this incredible mission to point other people that are far from God and without hope back into a relationship with him. That's what we're called to do. So Nehemiah saw that his people, God's people, were discouraged and they were distressed, and so God burned his heart to do something that would make a difference. And so God gave him a burden, and that was, that burden, all right, that burden was an invitation into the mission of God. It was an invitation into the extraordinary. Nehemiah saw something, and it just didn't set right with him. Nehemiah saw something, and he's like, man, we need to do something about this. 
so many of us, we see things that need to change. We see things that need to be better. And I'm going to mention some of those here today. And yet we don't do anything about it. We don't lean in. And we don't become engaged with what God might be leading us to do. Nehemiah wasn't about, let me just say this as a caveat, this whole book. Just from the offset, Nehemiah isn't about building a wall. You see, in, this, in the book of Nehemiah, the first six chapters deal with Nehemiah building a wall. In fact, he builds the wall in 52 days, right? Now, there's 13 chapters in this entire book. And so from chapter 17 all the way to 13, it's all about, the rest of the book is all about the people of God and their relationship to God. That's what it's about. It's about what Mike talked about this morning, God's people being revived. It's about God's people being renewed. It's about God's people being restored. Because on one hand, listen, building walls and digging wells and uh, feeding people, those are all good social things that we can do as a means to point people into a right relationship with God himself. That's what the book of Nehemiah is all about. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, but his purpose was to restore the people of God. The rebuilding of the wall was the means to accomplish the mission of God. And either way, through prayer, Nehemiah was able to request what he needed. Change your world leaders, write this down, change your world leaders, define the mission carefully. Listen, because they are specific. They know what they need, and they know what they need the moment when it's asked. And the reason that we know that Nehemiah could do that was simply because, Mike mentioned this last week, Nehemiah was a man that was a man of prayer. This man walked with God. This man had a relationship with God. This man communed with God. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he knew specifically what was needed. So Nehemiah knew that the temporal mission was to rebuild the wall, but it was God's mission to rebuild his people. And I want to to challenge you today in your calling, in your burden, in your passion. Look beyond the temporal to the eternal. Look beyond the the temporal help that we we have a food pantry here and we pass out close to 10,000, 20,000 pounds of food a year, and we service several hundred families every single year that come through our church that need food and help, and that's a great thing that we do, but the greater thing that we do is in the moments when we stop with those people and say, what can I pray with you about? Where can I help you find Christ, and how can I uh, help you to get back into a relationship with God? You see, the food or the wall or whatever it is that we're doing is the means to restore people back into a right relationship with God. Now, In verse number 5, I love this, the king said to me in verse number 4, what are you requesting? The the king just straight up asked him, what do you need? Nehemiah says in verse number 6, or verse number 5, he says, I want to rebuild the wall. And here's what I'm going to need to rebuild the wall. I mean, it's crazy. Here's a guy that's a cupbearer. He has no standing before the king. And I don't understand, I don't know if you guys understand this, but the king could have snapped his fingers and and a guy would have come in and like chopped his head off, and it'd have been it'd been in a day, because Nehemiah wasn't even supposed to look sad or depressed or discouraged in front of the king. He was there in the presence of the king, and he was supposed to have a certain uh, essence about himself. And that day he didn't. But when the king saw him, by the sovereign hand of the providence of God, he asked him, Nehemiah, what do you need? What are you so discouraged about? I'm burdened about my people. I'm burdened about this wall. Here's what I need in order to do what I think God's calling me to do. Now listen, after last week, you may have started to think about your burden. Maybe you talked to your spouse about it. Let me ask you this. Can you narrow your burden down to a crisp, clear statement and ask the question, what is God leading me to do? 
Can you define that? Now, I get we are here as a church, right, not to gather for religious purposes and to dispense out religious goods. We are here as a church to point people back to Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that, right? It's why we exist. But ultimately, individually and specifically, how is God leading you in that overarching mission to accomplish what God has called us to do corporately as a church? And that's the beauty of the local church, because all of us are different. All of us are gifted in different ways. John got up here and sang today, you don't want me leading music. Can I get an amen? That's just not my thing. You don't want Mike up here doing interpretive dance. That's not his thing, right? Right, amen? All of us, <laughs> don't come up to me afterwards and be like, hey, pastor, can we start an intro? No, no, no. We're not doing that one. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> what is God, what is God specifically calling you to do in the mission of God? What is he, what is he burning you to do? What, what do you see in the world around you that you're just like, man, that doesn't, that doesn't set right with me. I'm not okay with this. I'm not good with this. And we as a church and me as a follower of Jesus Christ who has the hope of the gospel, we need to, I, I need to do something about this. What is it that God's leading you to do? Recently, I had a couple in our church come to me, and this is, a bold, this is bold. Comes to me and says, hey, we want to start a food pantry full time in another location. And I didn't say how. I just said, wow, how, this is great. Let's pray about this. You know why? Because we serve the God of the impossible, right? And we know that God can do more than we can think or imagine. And I don't want to be that, I'm tired of wet blankets. Can I get an amen? I know, I know Christopher Robbins just came out, and all of you know about Eeyore, right? Well, I don't know, boo. I don't know. Can we do this? No, oh, man, we need some tiggers up in this place. Maybe we can do this. We got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know? We serve a big God. We serve a faithful God. And I know sometimes God calls us, and I, I think about our church. We started, uh, we started this church over 11 years ago, and, and I know bringing Jackson Creek into that, now we've merged with another church, and we're seeing God do some incredible things in our, our ministry. And now for nine years, I, can t- I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been in this auditorium, and I've walked and walked and walked and walked on Sunday morning praying and asking God to do a work. And sometimes it seems like God is silent, but he's not. He's developing the person before he develops the ministry. Maybe God's doing that in your life right now. What is it that fires you up? What is it that burdens you? Another single lady in our church who I'm so proud of, who's in the medical field, she goes overseas two, three times a year. With un- she brings her unchurched friends to the mission field to help minister to people that, that can't get uh, uh, medical care. And they set up triage centers all over the world. And Bradley Edmondson is going to be here in a few weeks to talk about that. And, and I just think it's fascinating that here's a young woman who's using her life and leaning into the mission of God and making a difference in the world in which we live, right? I, 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 I think about uh, maybe you have a burden today to help kids who are orphaned. we got parents in our church who, who foster kids. You, do you know how many kids need foster homes in the state of Illinois? I mean, some of you got houses that, I mean, are just, I, I drove my kids by my house in Florida when we were on vacation back in June. And, and I mean, I mean, you know, it, it was kind. And I'm so super thankful, super thankful that I had two parents that loved me and that provided for me and I had a roof over my head because that's all you need, right? But let's just be honest. 
Like, we live in a very affluent area. The household median income in Frankfurt alone is hundred grand a year. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm just wondering, like, some of us have rooms in our home where we could bring foster kids in. And what a great picture of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, right? Because there are some who don't have a family that need a family. And guess what? You and I were in that same boat before we came to know Christ. In, in Illinois alone, there's 17,920 kids in foster care. And there's 3,347 of these children who are waiting. They're just waiting for adoptive families. Now, I want to tell you this. If your mission is clear, a 12-year-old can get behind it. If your mission is clear, a 12-year-old can get behind it. Because this is key. If you can't define it, you can't do it. If you can't define it, you can't do it. So what is God leading you to do? Secondly, make your plans carefully. There's two principles in the life of Nehemiah that we see in these verses 6 through 8. There's two principles that we see, and the first one was this. It was, it was specific, and I've already kind of mentioned this. But this is different from mission-specific. This was the idea that Nehemiah had made some plans ahead of time before he made his request. He knew exactly what he needed. He knew exactly how he was going to ask. He was prepared for the king's question. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about this man's prayer life. He likely had spent considerable time praying and planning. And I want you to note this. Wise leaders pray and they plan carefully. And I love the passage in Proverbs 16.3 that says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans, your plans will be established. Now, sometimes I think those of us who are Christians tend to think, well, the planning process isn't very spiritual. I'm just going to let God unfold this thing right in front of me. And I, look, I believe there's sometimes that happens, and sometimes things move at the speed of God. But here's what I do know. God doesn't bless, and this is a good place for an amen, God doesn't bless lazy. God isn't going to bless lazy. He blesses the hands of the diligent. When you put in the work, God's going to bless the work that you put in. Maybe you have a vision for the student ministry to help young men who may struggle to live in purity. Maybe you have a desire to help uh, end sex uh, sex trafficking in the city of Chicago. Maybe God wants to use your business to fund some of our missionary projects or a church planner for a year. And you think in your mind, man, that's kind of a great vision. I'm going to take that to prayer. And when you do, God's power is unleashed on that vision. But oftentimes when you have a burden like that, you look at it and you go, man, that's so big. I don't know what to do next. Where do I start? And I love what we see in this passage of Scripture because it's so intensely practical. Nehemiah's first step was a step of faith. That's it. So first of all, we see in this text His request was specific, but his response was in faith. So for many of us, we have these grand visions, and we think, well, man, i got to do this, and i got to do this, and i got to do this. Oftentimes, the first step is a simple step of faith. That's all it was. Nehemiah had to entrust his life to God, and he had to get to a place where he's willing to ask the king, because he knew if he asked and he caught the king on a wrong day, it could cost him his life. So he was willing to put himself out there for the glory of God of God, for the mission of God, for the thing that he was most burdened about in his life that he felt like God was leading him to do. His life, his work, his purposes were committed to God's purposes, and all of that was unfolding right before him. And that, my friends, is the reward of faith. I think about William Carey, and I know most of you probably don't even know who he was. Several hundred years ago, there was a a, a pastor, he was a Reformed Baptist pastor, 
uh, by the name of William Carey. Historians call him the father of modern missions. It was a time in church history when missions was essentially non-existence. And what we mean by the term missions is that where one person goes to another country to plant indigenous churches that, um, that are gospel-centered churches. And so he went to his uh, uh, group of pastors that was kind of like his tribe and said, Hey, God is calling me to go to India. And um, from England, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave here and I'm going to go to India. And they said, if God wants the heathen to be saved, he'll save the heathen himself. They're hyper-Calvinists, right? They didn't believe in uh, missions. They didn't believe in uh, sharing the gospel. This man was a shoe cobbler. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a professional uh, church guy. He was a shoe cobbler. But God called him to India. And for eight years, he didn't see one single convert. And then after that, he began to see people come to know Christ. And he translated the word of God into, um, uh, into over 30 different dialects of the Burmese language so that they can know who Christ was. And his motto in life, and you, you, can, you can seriously go to India today and trace the, the salvation lineage all the way back to the ministry of William Carey, this missionary, this great missionary. And he had this... He had this motto for life, and the motto is this, expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. Man, what would it be like if there was a church right here in this community that lived by that motto? Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And so you recognize that in your burden, in your calling, in your passion, that my next step is just going to be a simple step of faith. And I'm going to take one step. One step at a time. You see, you've got to clarify your plans, and often it means taking a step of faith. Nehemiah had to make this big ass from the king, and listen, it was risky. It was risky, but God rewarded his faith. I want to tell you today, the first steps of faith are often the most difficult, aren't they? The first steps of faith are often the most difficult. How many of you remember the day that you came to know Christ? The moment that you realized that you were a sinner far from God and you were broken, undone, unrighteous in the sight of God. And you knew you were sitting in a chair and you knew you're like, man, I'm lost. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know God. Like, I'm not forgiven of my sins. I, I, don't, I don't know if I have a home in heaven. And it, you took that first step of faith into the aisle and you grabbed me or you grabbed someone by the hand and said, hey, I need to know Jesus. That was a hard step, wasn't it? And I'm going to tell you, the whole life of a follower of Jesus Christ is, is followed by steps just like that. Because the life of a follower of Christ is a life of faith. It's a life of taking one step, trusting God, not just with your eternity, but with your life. Everything, from your finances to your marriage to how you raise your kids to how you, how you um, express your sexuality and on and on and on and on. I could go today, but the life of a Christian is a life of faith. And the reason some of you are so bored in your Christian life and the reason that you're so steeped into religion is because you've stopped taking the simple steps of faith where God can be big and faithful in your life once again. Make those plans and take those steps. And then thirdly, thirdly, world change leaders, they inspire people passionately. I love this. In verse 17, man, I mean, it's just like you would think that Nehemiah was like hopped up, man, like he's fired up about what God wanted him to do. In verse 17, he says, then I said to him, you see the trouble we're in? Nehemiah, like, he looks around and he sees the walls. And I've been to, I've been to the old city. We've been to Jerusalem. In fact, my wife and I, we went to, um, 
We went to the Holy Land a few years ago, and it was kind of crazy, man. We took an Uber from our hotel into the old city, and we'd been eating, like, shawarma and falafel, and I'm like, I need a cheeseburger, right? I'm not kidding. And I found a kosher hamburger joint that, you know, was as good as, um, uh, uh, oh, my word, uh, where's my Shake Shack? As good as Shake Shack. Boy, my mind, I took my mind works this morning, so um, I was trying to keep on point. Shake Shack. And so we go into the old city, we spend the day down in the old city, we go see the Wailing Wall, and then we get a cab, and as we're pulling out of the old city, we roll right through the dung gate, man. I'm like, we're just rolling a cab right through the dung gate. They just opened up the dung gate, and we rolled right through in a cab, right? This is, this is historical fact. Nehemiah walks through this, and he, in the evening, he, he walks in. I, we didn't read it this morning, but 9 through uh, 16, it talks about how he inspected the wall. So Nehemiah then, in verse 17, he says, you see the trouble? We're, look, at, look at the walls, man. Look at how they've been broken down. And I think some of you are looking around your world. You're looking around your community, and you're seeing, man, this is broken, and this is broken, and this needs to be fixed, and this needs to be fixed. And I'm going to tell you, we can do something about that. And Nehemiah is inspiring his people, and he says in verse 17 and in the passage, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer this derision. And I told him, I love this. I told him of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Man, I'm going to tell you, you want to follow a leader that has the hand of God on his life, right? You want to have a leader that knows and is following and pursuing God and not pursuing his own agenda. Can I get an amen? So many leaders out there today are in it for themselves. Nehemiah was the kind of leader that was in it for other people. These folks were disillusioned and they were discouraged and their, their faith was wavering. And Nehemiah stands in the midst of that and he says, listen, God's hand is on me and his hand is good. Now, please note this. His passion, his passion was the overflow of his personal walk with God. Listen, you, you want to get passionate about the mission of God? You want to get a burden? Just get alone with God. Walk around your city, walk around your community, walk around your neighborhood, walk around the schools, walk around your work. Maybe there's some stuff going on in your work and maybe in your school or whatever. Like, I don't know, but just walk around and say, God, God, help me to see with your eyes. Help me to see what could be and what should be and show me how I can make a difference. And so Nehemiah stood in this moment because he had knelt privately before God. He was walking with him. I want to tell you, communion with God increases your confidence in life. I've had meetings at times where I've had to step into a situation. I've had to make those big requests. I remember a few months ago, I had to sit in front of uh, some of the deacons over at Sauk Trail, and I simply had to ask them for $100,000 to refinance our loan and then forgive us of $140,000 that we still owed them and, and to explain why that this would be a great decision for them, Right? I was able to do that because I'd spent some time walking with God. And I can go on and on and on throughout my life on moments where I had to stand and make a request. But I'd be remiss if I hadn't spent time kneeling before God walking with Him. Nehemiah was able to inspire others because he was passionate about God's purpose and calling. Let me ask you this. Who inspires you? Who inspires you? I want to tell you, sometimes, and I know we say this to our teenagers, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We say that all the time to the kids, don't we? 
And I think that's some good counsel, but I think it's good for adults. Because I don't want to be around people that don't inspire me. I don't want to be around people. I don't want my, I don't want my close circle to be. Now, now look, I minister to people, and I, I, I'm around folks all the time. And I get some people are cynical, and I get some people are critical, and on and on and on we could go. But those that speak into my life, those that I allow into that circle, I want them to believe in a faithful God. I want them to believe that with God all things are possible, that nothing is impossible, and that when we pray that he can do abundantly above all that we can ask or think, that God can restore marriages, that God can heal cancer, that God can, that God can reverse financial woes, that God can save to the uttermost, that God can remove addiction. I mean, is there a place for an amen today? I mean, that's the God we serve. So I want to know who inspires you. But here I want to ask you this is, who are you inspiring? Who are you inspiring? If you were to, <laughs> if you were to ask your spouse today, hey, do I inspire you? How do you think that would roll? Super quiet, man. I know, right? But, but can I just talk about that for a minute? Are your kids seeing a husband and wife, a mom and a dad who are encouraging each other? Or are they seeing a mom and dad who are critical to each other? Because I'm going to tell you, if you want to change the world, you've got to start with your, your home first. We're not changing the world if we can't fix our home. I just, I, I look at my wife and I know that, like, I, I can be insanely critical. But I know that there are times where that, 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 that attribute can come into play in, in very good, godly ways. But I also know, too... That I, can, that I can find myself not being in the moment and enjoying the, good, the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And I've just recently said to her, and I, we were talking this morning, I was trying to encourage her. She goes, like, this is weird, man. Like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> like, she just said that to me today. I'm like, my name is Jason. I'm a recovering critic. <laughs> I want you to know that I'm here to compliment you today. And I believe that you're an amazing mother, and I believe that you're an amazing wife. And yes, you get on my nerves at times. And yes, you steal the covers. But I love you, right? I believe in you. I, I just, you know, we're so good to other people, but are we good to the ones that we're closest to? Are we willing to invest in them? Do we see the potential in them? Because oftentimes, inspirational leaders, they don't see the bad in other people. They see the good in them. And I know oftentimes I genuinely do struggle with that. Are we seeing the good in others? So, change your world leaders know that, that you can make a difference by yourself. You, you can make a difference by yourself. You can. That can totally happen. But change your world leaders, they recognize that you need other people to buy into the vision that God has given you, and that's what Nehemiah is doing. He gathers them all together, a group of people, says, do you see the trouble we're in? And I, I want to ask you folks, do you see the culture that we're in? Do you see the country that we're in? Do you see the abortion rate going up? Do you see uh, the, 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 the abuse rate going up for domestic violence? Do you, do you see this? Do you see that there are people in your world that are in desperate, desperate need of a God-centered gospel hope? Do you see that? So I want to ask you, who are you inspiring to join in the mission of God? Are you inspiring your kids? Are you inspiring your friends? I want to challenge you today. Pray that, that, that wherever God leads you, that others are inspired to join you into that mission. John Wesley said it this way. 
Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire, man, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. When you get excited about something, people will join in that mission that God has called you to accomplish. Now, world change leaders, they inspire others, they define the, the, the mission carefully, um, or they plan carefully, and they define the mission clearly. Those are the three things that you do. But I want you to understand the story of Nehemiah. This story is intensely practical. But it isn't really a story about how God used Nehemiah to rebuild a wall. It's a story about how God restores, rescues, and redeems people that are far from him. And I mean, when you look around the world in which we live, there are people that are far from God. There are people that maybe have a marginal, at best, relationship with God. And even if they have somewhat of a relationship with God, they don't really know what it means to follow Christ. And they surely don't know what it means to be forgiven of their sins. And that their uh, relationship is right with God. And that they have a home in heaven with him forever. That's the point, and that's the key. Because the grand narrative, we, we use the Bible every week here at our church. The grand narrative of the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is about Jesus. And it's about how Jesus is taking his people from a place of sinners to a place of folks that are restored. People that are renewed. People that have been rescued from the hopelessness that they find in their lives. You see, so many people are far from God and and hopeless and broken, and they're struggling to find purpose and meaning in their life. And listen, God is the rebuilder, not us. Nehemiah didn't rebuild the wall. God did. God used a man to accomplish his purpose, and the purpose wasn't the wall. The purpose was rebuilding the people of God, and God just used the wall to get his mission done. You know how many people, how many people do you know that feel abandoned and without hope? Who is God leading you to restore? And we live in a great time. I, I do believe this. While there is sex trafficking in our world, and there is foster kids, and there are kids that need to be adopted, and there are people that are hungry, even in our community. They can't pay their bills, or their marriages are falling apart, or they're, 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 they're struggling through uh, life with different addictions, and on and on and on we can go. We are living, I believe, in the best time to shine as lights in the world. So instead of being weird, obnoxious Christians, we can be people who genuinely love others and leverage our lives and our resources and use our burdens to make a true difference in the world in which we live. And that's what I want to ask you today. What is it that God is leading you into right now? Personally, individually, specifically. If someone were to ask you today, hey, what is God leading you into? Could you say, this is what God is leading me to do, and this is what I think I need to make that next step. Can you help me? Can you do that today? And the last one is, who, is you, who are you inspiring? Who are you inviting in along on that mission to say, hey, look, God's doing some big things in the world. Would you be a part of this? Would you join me in on this? Because it's exciting, and I believe we can make a difference together. If I could just this morning have everyone bow their heads and close your eyes. I want to invite you to ask you a few questions this morning. How many of you would say to me this today that, you know, Pastor Jason, I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know for sure that I've been forgiven of my sins. 
that heaven is my home and that I have a right relationship with God. Would you just lift your hand and let me see that this morning? Let me just see those hands today. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jay, I don't know for sure that heaven is my home. I don't know for sure that I'm a follower of Christ. Pray for me and just lift your hand and let me pray with you this morning. No one's looking around. No one at all. Let me pray for you this morning. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jay, I, I just, I want you to know that I want to, I want to change the world I'm in. And God's giving me a burden right now. And, and I just, I want to give that burden back to God. And I want to, I want to, I want to get involved. Lift your hand. God's leading you into something. Amen. 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 Hands all across the auditorium this morning. Now, in just a few moments, what we're going to do, we're going to have what's called an invitation. I know for some of you that's new and some of you it's kind of awkward, but you know what? That's okay. In fact, we're going to sing this song. It's called Come to the Altar. And the whole idea about coming to the altar is that this is our moment to worship God. This is our moment to bow before him and say, God, you spoke to me today. And God, you put this burden on my heart, and I want to give it to you, and I pray that you would bless it, and I pray that you would resource it, and I pray, God, that you would open doors that need to be opened, and I pray, God, that you'd give me the strength and confidence to do what it is that you're calling me to do. So I want to invite you to do that here in just a few moments. Father in heaven, I thank you again for Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way for us to know we could be right with you, that we could be forgiven of our sins and that heaven is our home. God, I, I'm so thankful this morning that while we are a people who are broken, you use us to reach other people who are broken and are, that are far from God. And I just pray this morning that your name would be lifted up in our lives and that we would recognize what it is that you're leading us into, what you're calling us to do, and that we would take the burdens that you've given to us and whatever that next step of faith is, unreservedly involvement step into it as your Holy Spirit equips and empowers us to do what you call us to do. We ask this in your wonderful and precious name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?